Earthquake, hello, and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, John Ovandriel. Thank I you very much. A cheerful tone on that for the cheerful John Ovandriel. I love what you talk about. I love what you do. And I'm really looking forward to talking about from entity modeling to knowledge graph maintenance. And the first thing I will do right after I've looked at your brand set is ask you to uh, to define, excuse me, entity mo uh, modeling. So as always on Branded Search and Beyond with Jason Barnard, we start with your brand set. And here I searched your name and look at that. Your last appearance on this show where you were also yellow, interestingly enough, is dominating the images. Um, so how do you feel about us dominating the images for you? Interesting, because I normally tend to spend absolutely zero time on building my own knowledge panel. Um, that's by design. I prefer right. to stay in the background. So oh, that, that's, that's why you interesting. don't find a knowledge panel. We actually have a couple of clients who are saying, I want to avoid having a knowledge panel, please. And our job is to prevent them getting a knowledge panel uh, as far as we possibly can. Obviously, we can't control it, but it's quite interesting work trying to keep Google a little bit confused all the time, but not so confused it starts duplicating people. Um, and if you're interested in that kind of thing, join the CaliCube Knowledge Panel and Brand SERP support group on Facebook. We talk about this kind of stuff all day long, and it's absolutely delightful. Not you, Jano, anybody else in the audience. You are listening to Branded Search and Beyond with Jason Barnard. Now, back to the show. And then I looked at the other images, and you can see also that it associates um, multiple different episodes, including Bill Slowski there, uh, mm -hmm. with you through the images. So we've kind of got, oh, and I'm in the middle there somewhere with Andrea so, Volpini and Teodora. Yep. Um, and the CaliCube logo, huge. So you're kind of associated with CaliCube despite yourself. Well, that makes total sense. After all, you, you, you write about the topics, you publish the videos. So sure, I'm going to leak through. It's not that I don't <laughs> mind if I leak through. I have nothing against it. But personally, I find the challenge to create a knowledge panel too easy. And it distra uh, distracts from what I want to focus on. So as opposed to getting people my knowledge panel, I prefer they encounter all the posts I did on the W3C and on the Schemanador GitHub, so they actually know, hey, that guy is really involved in that Schemanador stuff, as opposed to here's a knowledge panel, he's actually a marketeer. Now, in all honesty, I'm a geek. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, which is exactly the topic we're talking about today. You're super expert in schema markup, knowledge graphs and entity modeling. Now, tell me, please, what is entity modeling? Entity modeling, in my mind, is, is trying to tell a story in a machine-readable language. Mm -hmm. So when people ask me about their website and what types of things they should mark up, my first response always is, well, let's go for the rich results. That's the low-hanging fruit. Um, but at the same time, you can also use structured data to tell much more about your business. And that goes beyond what you find in those rich results. But before you start contemplating 
What is it I need to publish? You don't need to publish anything. In theory, you're done with rich results. Um, but structured data can also help to tell a story about your organization, about your entity, about your personality, about the products you provide, about the services you deliver. And before going into structured data, it's actually always nice to stop and think, what, am I, what story am I telling on my page? What is the message I'm trying to get across? And if you apply that to structured data, then you can start looking, can I amplify that message through structured mm. data? Can I actually tell that same story in a machine-readable format? Right, which is a really interesting way of putting it, telling a story, but it's actually telling the same story that's already on the page and just making it digestible yes. for engines, or is it going further than that? Now, in the end, it, it, it always starts with what are you putting on your page itself? Um, mm -hmm. You can stuff as much structured data in a website as you as you want, um, but it all, the, the primary basics is simply the web page itself. Once you're telling a story, um, as an author, you have all kinds of different tools, keyword optimization, entity optimization tools, so you can create a focused story. Mm -hmm. But stories tend to lack details, and that's where structured data comes in, where you start to translate your story into a machine-readable format, and then you start to discover, hey, but there are related properties or types that are actually important to this story. I can express those in my structured data. Why didn't I express those in my actual story? Hmm. So you can use that same structured data to not only amplify the story, but you actually can use that same information to start looking at your content and think, hey, aren't there one or two details I'm actually missing in here that are of importance in relation to the topic I'm talking about? Right. And I mean, from that perspective, what I find is as soon as we say to a client, a company or a person, fill in all the information we need for the structured data, we suddenly realize that they haven't put any of that in their bio. For example. And bios are hugely interesting for that, is that people don't put the details and the structured data forces us to think about what it is we're saying and what we're trying to communicate. The same thing goes, for example, with, with something as ordinary as a plumber, a, a daily business. Mm -hmm. If you look at the homepage, there's a, a bunch of organization information in there. Then you start to look at service pages. And if you're lucky, there's some markup explaining what services they deliver. But they don't connect the two entities. Mm -hmm. Yet, if you provide the information this service has a provider that provider is this organization that you actually start strengthening the relationship between the services you provide and at the same time the company that or the brand that provides that service but then you need to make that ultimate connection and not just say yeah here are some entities on this page here and there are some entities on that page and then leave it up to the search engine to figure out what the relation between the two is Right. And so, I mean, would it be fair to say that when the search engine reads the page, it probably understands if it's relatively well written, but it isn't confident in that understanding and schema markup can help build confidence? Um, yes, it can even go a, a, a small step further, as in it can help absolutely disambiguate the content mm -hmm. you're providing. Um, Yes, the search engines are really getting getting really good at, at digesting and breaking down the content they're reading. But I have also seen what happens if they use AI to extract that information. 
and small little mistakes start to creep up into what they mm. automatically detect. And that's just on your page. And now they're going through the internet and they're looking yeah. at your brand and they find small differences left and right all over the internet. And that's the strength of structured data is that it helps you clean up that mess. First of all, by forcing you to think about what is the message you're actually trying to convey and what details do I want to publish. So that means you can use that information to optimize your own content. Um, after that's done, you actually should start publishing the markup, but always first work on the content itself. Because again, the markup is just an additional layer on the top of things. And if the foundational layer doesn't have that information, don't stuff it, don't focus on the structured data yet. But the moment you have that optimized about page and you have that structured information on your site, then you can also go on, on the web and start looking at all those sources that talk about you and see, okay, does their information coincide with yeah. the information I'm publishing myself? And that right. helps strengthen the, the information and the trust search engines can apply to your information because in the end, your organization is the least reliable source of that information. Yeah. Every organization and, and, and person tries to present themselves more nicely than they really are. So right. from that point of view, search engines are skeptical about the information they find on your site. But if that information coincides with what they find on the web, then it actually turns into a boost. Yeah, which is which is brilliant. And the the thing that's ironic there is that Google is actively looking to find what we call the entity home, which is the place where you describe yourself. And mm -hmm. your point is it wants to know what you have to say, but it doesn't believe you, it doesn't trust you, it needs to corroborate with the other information around the web. And what I just thought exactly. about is I talk a lot about a broken plate whereby Google has a broken plate and it's trying to fit it together. And somewhere along the lines, the schema markup on your entity home is the, the broken plate brought together as a complete puzzle that you present to the search engine and say, this is what you're trying to match everything on the web to. Is that a fact? Exactly. Yeah, that's a nice summary of how I see it as well. Oh, um, brilliant. To stack on top sorry. of that, if you, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead, go oh, ahead. If you look on top of that, what, the way I always explain it to my clients is, Google crawls your web page. It takes out the, the HTML on the page and actually turns that information into a data layer by natural language processing. Then they have another layer on top of that about all the links and what they're supposed to mean. Mm -hmm. On top of that, you provide another layer, structured data. Not one of those layers is the correct one. The magic happens in the, the alignment between those different layers and helping the search engines to make the decision Oh, when we crawl your site, the information we extract and how we analyze it actually completely coincides with your structured data. Oh, that means we probably can trust the information you're providing. And that is where, where the magic happens. But again, it's not in isolation. It's not just the structured data on your website. It's not just the actual content on the web page. It's the overall picture they get of you or your business over the internet. Right, and then I, mean, you, I, I just wanted to have a quick look there at the, the difference between the bot, the crawler, that takes mm -hmm. all this data and then indexes it, and the algorithms that figure out the rankings and what to use where. Um, because we tend often to think about them as this kind of one big machine, but in fact you have a bot or a crawler that goes through the page and tries to identify what each piece of information in that page represents, what it's therefore, and then annotate it and put it in the index. And it's those annotations that are hugely important 
for the algorithms to actually be able to grab the data out of the index and start to analyze it and use it and rank it. Yeah, and, and, and on top of that, you got the fact so that, in all honesty, the search engine is creating their own data set about you. Good point. But there, there is a lot of heuristics involved that try to automatically extract that information. And, and the algorithms for that are getting better really, really, really fast. But I expect at least five or till 10 more years before we start to think, hmm, maybe we don't need structured data any longer. They're, they're so good at extracting information that, yeah, let it be. The, that last 2% we can fix with structured data is of no matter anymore. But to get to that point, we still got five to 10 years to go, and we need to help to feed the machine. Right, and that's a really, really good point because some people do kind of look at this and say, well, the machines are getting so good at it, we can see what they can do with their, their NLP, their, their language models, that maybe we don't need structured data. But you're saying any structured data that clarifies what's on the page is going to be helpful. Yeah, and it also helps train those same machines because if mm -hmm. they can extract the information from your web page and in a separate process also digest your structured data, and if they can tell that their data set completely aligns with the data set you provide in structured data, then their algorithms can also start to apply more trust in the information their other algorithms are extracting from your web page. So your factual correctness of the information skyrockets. And that and makes it more having more weight in the search results. Right, so more weight in the search results, but does it also mean that it learns to trust you? If, you, if across your entire site, your schema markup is incredibly um, well mapped to the content that it represents in the page, would that then mean that these machines would learn to trust you over time and you then become a more authoritative, trusted source? Personally, I don't believe authority and, and structured data. I, I see a lot of people talking about this in, in regards to EEAT. Mm -hmm. And that's where I often go, mm, well, um, 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 yeah, hold up. No, not really. Um, because structured data or linked data or structured content from that, from that regard have, aren't designed to do anything with authority. Yeah. It's all about ambiguity and providing clarity of information. There's nothing with authority in there. Um, mm -hmm. Surely they have authoritative sources, but what makes them authoritative is the factual accuracy on those websites and the scale they provide factual accuracy. It's not because our human perception of trust. It's, it's a data score of how much trust can we apply to these facts being true. Mm -hmm. And that's a skill from zero to one, as I've seen it in the past. Um, so, yeah, if you score a one, they can really confident the facts you have, are feeding to the machine. But if you score a 0 0.01, yeah, then there's a big chance they're like, nah, let's ignore this. It's, it's too vague. So you, you get the impression that some people are implementing schema markup on the idea that it is per se going to improve trust and authority. Um, whereas, in fact, it's just about ambiguity and clarification. Exactly. And trust for me, as in, in trust as we, we as humans perceive it, is more a matter of what is your overall internet picture? Mm -hmm. What does the intertel, internet tell the search engines who you are? Are you trustworthy? What do the comments about your organization say? What do the comments about, your, uh, uh, about you as a person say? Um, those all provide context in regards to trust as the way we perceive it as humans but it has absolutely nothing to do with data accuracy score and right, being yeah, able and to trust the data. 
And when Google added the extra E to EAT, they actually changed the way they explained it all to be experience, expertise, and authority leads to trustworthiness and kind mm -hmm. of separated the trustworthiness from the other three. Although, obviously, I think trustworthiness has its own signals or its own, as, as we as human beings, we call it at, at CaliCube credibility. Because for me, just saying, are you credible, For yes example. or no? Exactly. But that whole EAT thing is much, much more about PR and uh, reputation management. Yeah. Exactly. Sorry, I, 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 I've, I've actually nothing to add to that. That's a conclusion oh, I completely right. subscribe to. So. <laughs> right, no, okay. But it's actually what we do at CaliCube because initially I built CaliCube Pro and its immediate application would have been reputation management. But mm -hmm. I shied away from that because reputation management has a kind of negative connotation where you're trying to hide rotten things about yourself or your company. Whereas actually reputation management can be very, very positive. So it's, it's a, a, a practical example is, is how organizations react to negative reviews on, for example, Google Business. Right. Um, the Google reviews or any platform you're present on and where people can provide reviews. Um, if you get a negative review on your website about your website or about your service, it's not worrisome whether your score goes down from 4.8 to 3.9. It's how you respond mm. to that negative review. How do you present yourself? Because authoritativeness and, and trustworthiness can be restored if you provide the proper reply to a complaining customer. Right. Yep. And if you can expose that to possible new customers, at least to get the signal, okay, they make mistakes, but they own them and they resolve them. That builds trust. Ooh. Right. Oh, that's a really good point because obviously we all as businesses want five-star reviews and at CaliCube we've got lots and we got one three-star review from uh, one of the students in the courses who was actually quite happy mm -hmm. but thought he was going to get something slightly different. We replied, we talked to him, we worked on his problem and he pushed us up to four stars and, and thanked us for it. And I'm convinced that a a three-star review that's then moved to a four-star review is better for my business than just those five-star reviews because it shows we're making an effort. Exactly. Nobody believes a five-star review. It's just like, yeah, right. Not you even don't any of them. You don't make mistakes. You're that, you're that one person in the world that never fails. Um, right. Interesting neuro neurological fact. Every human is programmed to make more or less 5% wrong mistakes, or wrong right. decisions. Our brain isn't factual 100%. Our brain tries to anticipate on things. So mm -hmm. our brain makes decision prior to facts actually happening. We, we try to anticipate. But because our brain tries to anticipate things, that has an error rate for every human of roughly 5%. So oh, wow. if you get a 95 functionality score, 95% functionality score, you're actually at the limit. You can't get higher than 95%. Oh, that's really cool because uh, in uh, the CaliCube team, we have a, an aim that I didn't know about that fact of 95% perfect. And we, we aim for it. We don't always get it. We don't expect to always get it. But our aim is to say, I want to be 95% getting it right. And that actually makes total sense now. So we're, we're right on the right path. Now the question is, are these algorithms going to have that same 5% error rate? In regards to how do you mean and, and how do they digest well, it and the information they extract from it or, or actually failing to extract the information? 
Well, I suppose across the board, I mean, it was a very general philosophical question is you were saying in five to 10 years, they won't need schema markup so much. And you mentioned 2%. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm not holding you to the numbers of 2 or 5%. But do you feel that humans are going to be limited to 95% but machines can do it? Oh, definitely. There's going to absolutely, where in a lot of areas we're already close where the machines are starting to um, bypass human capability. If I look at in, in the world of health and medicine, for example, mm. um, 10 years ago, I already heard about projects in Africa where uh, doctors were using cheap mobile phones and a cheap uh, echo scanner uh, in, in the middle of nowhere in Africa, in little villages. And people were complaining about stomach aches or breast aches. And they would make an echography and send it through SMS to a server somewhere oh, in the US. AI went through it, analyzed the echo, uh, echography images, and was able to detect whether a person had cancer or not. Now, we're talking about people in rural areas where nobody, normally no doctor comes. Maybe oh, once a year, a nurse stops there. And those were people that were never diagnosed with cancer. In the beginning, doctors were checking the results of those machines. And, mm. and, and that artificial intelligence. By now, that project is actually up and running in Africa, and doctors no longer check the outcome of the algorithms because the AI is right in more cases than humans are. It is able to detect right. on images uh, cancer cells that humans don't recognize based on their size in the image. So philosophically speaking, the AI or the machine learning is outperforming the humans once they get 95, 96%. Exactly. They're, tra they're trained by humans. And there comes a point where they've learned everything from humans they can, and then the machines start to surpass us. And depending right. on the complexity of the topic, that is easy programmatically, and you have a running product in six months, and you also have industries where they're already working to resolve a problem for, for a decade, and still not no step closer towards a solution. Right. Well, I didn't expect to end up here with our conversation. Can we come back to entity modeling? Yeah. Um, entity <laughs> modeling sounds a little bit like cheating. Okay, why? Well, I would say if I'm modeling my entity, I'm trying to make it look super pretty for Google in order to exploit um, holes or weaknesses in its algorithm. Mm. Exploiting this stuff is extremely difficult. If, if I look back at the day and age of... of Structured data spam, uh, eight, nine years ago, it was terrible. We would see recipes as products and books as recipes, and God knows what people did. Those things don't happen a lot anymore. Um, so from that regard, manipulating the search results has really become very difficult. If you're looking again at doing it from, from a perspective that you're stuffing your page full of structured data in the hope that you can provide all that information to the search engine. Again, it's a matter of you're throwing it into the mix. So what mm. you're publishing on your site by itself will never be enough to convince the search engine. It mm. might help push that search engine over the edge and say, and now we recognize the entity because they you gave the final confirmation they needed. But in and by itself, ah, I think the investment you need to do to really go overboard with markup is so high that you'll never see a return of investment on it if you're trying to manipulate the search engines. Right. Oh, brilliant. And the other the other question that you've kind of touched on is how much schema markup is too much and how much is not enough? 
Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a very general question, but I tend to think, well, we start with a little bit and then we build and build and build and build because if I start with too much, I'm liable to make a mistake or confuse things. Maybe we should feed the machine gradually. Is that a fair approach? If I take on new clients who have never done any optimization yet, the first question always is, is you know, what do you want to achieve? Okay, more customers. Okay, more customers. More, more converting customers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so we're not looking for more visitors. We're looking for more converting customers. That's the foundation. Um, if you look at the schema.org, like I said uh, not so long ago, um, it starts with creating a model and and trying to create a model that reflects the message you're trying to get across. So practically speaking, product detail page, you're trying to provide certain information on the product detail page. Mm. Can you reflect that information in the structured data? Yes, you can. Okay, awesome. Then you can also start looking at where are the gaps in the the information I provide. Because most of the time, especially in product detail pages, there are a lot more properties on the page itself, and people actually reflect in the structured data. Right. So that's a good area, actually, to start providing additional properties. Schema.org has an additional property property that lets you specify properties that don't exist in Schema.org itself. Right. You don't need to apply that to everything on your website. But if you're talking about selling uh, televisions, you, you might want to uh, explain the, the power source and, and the, the screen diagonal and all those types of things, which don't mm-hmm. exist in schema.org. So you actually can still provide that information. Right. In a e-commerce world, that's interesting, not just because of search perspective. Um, something st- few still do is actually you can feed that same information back into your analytical systems. Now, whether you do that in old-fashioned Google Analytics, new Google Analytics, you use BigQuery or completely mm-hmm. other tooling, that doesn't matter, but you can really start to do interesting things with that information. Um, yeah. Right. No, no, sorry. And, and from from my perspective there, now we're saying, well, what is the point when the diminishing returns start to hit in? I mean, you were saying keep stuffing, keep stuffing, keep stuffing. Is it is is the problem with that simply that there's a diminishing return on it or that you're going to create confusion or overload as long as the data is, is correct, you won't overload the search engine. You really have to provide them with 10 megabytes of structured data before right. they'll start to, to cough it up again. Um, so no, from that point of view, you don't really have to worry. Um, but if you go beyond the rich snippets, the rich results, the question quickly should be, why am I providing even more information? That mm. could be as simple as I'm noticing um, I have, you know, what I've seen practically in the past is websites with content overlap. Hmm. Um, Because the content overlap was in very niche, small details. So yes, there were separate strong articles, but because they were talking about such small differences, search engines had difficulty ranking certain pages for certain queries. They were, you were were seeing in in, in analytics, you were seeing pages bounce in their results. That one day it was one page, one page, it was another page. In those situations, very granular structured data can actually help the search engine finally determine what the exact niche of that article is and stabilize the search results based on that. Because they can better match the content to the intent of the searcher. No, 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 which is a great point because we have this problem with uh, we've created a page, knowledge panel for a doctor, knowledge panel for a lawyer, knowledge panel for a musician. And we have this problem of, of Google not being able to figure out quite 
which one it is, even though it's relatively clear on the page. And the thing we haven't done is added that granular detail of this isn't just a person, it's specifically a doctor or specifically a lawyer. For example. So um, we're going to have to do that now. <laughs> so that's one side. Um, it, it, you can clarify small details. If you notice, the search engines are, are, are struggling with figuring out what it's about and which page should rank for which query. That's one part. Um, like I said, rich results, that's the obvious win. And you could stop there. When would you go beyond? That totally depends on what you're doing with your business. Um, right. I've gone really overboard for a company I've worked where in the past and actually completely designed a vocabulary for their business. We took schema.org and we almost completely created an additional ontology on top of that for all the other detail and nitty gritty details about all the products they had, I couldn't express in schema.org. Mm -hmm. We didn't do that for the search engines. We did that so we could use that information for email systems with AI. Hmm. So that email knew exactly what types of products based on the, the user profiles they were selling to certain people. So that also means if you know the topics they are about, the gritty details of the products people like, then you actually can start sending emails with products based on those properties. And, and you know, okay, if you are definitely interested in only black colored products, here's a list of black colored products, as opposed to here's the blue one, here's the yellow one, here's the green one. No, you like black. Right. So you can use that information as well to make decisive systems. It can help you make uh, life better in regards to marketing, email outreach. Um, one of the things I see nobody talk about is the overlap between affiliate, um, advertisement, and organic SEO. We all need certain data sets, information that needs to be pre present on the page from an SEO point of view. But if you build a good page, you know, nine out of 10 times also end up building the good foundation for something like AdSense or AdWords. Mm -hmm. And if you got the right information, overall, you can also create uh, affiliate feeds with much more information in there than right. most organizations generate. So. Again, it depends on your goals for that structured data. If, if your goals are just, I want to have rich results, keep it at that. You don't need to go beyond that. That's fine. Mm -hmm. That's quite fine. But for every step you take, you have to ask yourself, what is the purpose of what I'm trying to do? If you're trying to overload the search engines, um, chances are you're just wasting your money. Right. And I mean, coming back to what you just said, it's building an internal knowledge graph allows you then to reuse the data in multiple different ways. Um, which is which is hugely interesting. And Andrea Volpini from WordLift talks to me a lot about mm -hmm. building a knowledge graph into your website. But in fact, you should always already have the knowledge graph for your company, but you can use the website to understand better your own company, which I find hugely interesting and, and, and helpful. And the, uh, the, the final kind of point from you were talking about knowledge graph maintenance, can you just tell me what you mean by maintenance as opposed to just building the knowledge graph? Do people tend to build a knowledge graph and think job done? Um, well, when I talk about the knowledge graph in, in that regard, I'm specifically talking about Google's knowledge graph. Ah, right. Okay. Sorry. So let's split those two apart because you, you got into a good point. But if I look at Google's knowledge graph, for example, <laughs> first of all, people are struggling to get in there. Um, right. That's, that's Calicube specialty. So um, <laughs> I won't sit on your chair. No worries. But... In the end, getting in there is just one step. 
Because mm. there, uh, also with knowledge panels in, in, in uh, for Google, we're same with Wikipedia pages. Pe- people often seem to think I'm in there. Let it go. No, yeah. you have to keep m- making sure that it keeps presenting the correct information. Your business moved. Good. Did you tell Google the new address? Hmm. <laughs> that, that's a small thing a lot of companies forget to do. But that can really mess with your knowledge panel. Right. And that's a really interesting point because we, ha- we struggle to convince companies and people that they need to do maintenance on their knowledge panel, their knowledge graph presence. And you mentioned a change of address, but there's also uh, somebody publishes an article that contradicts something that you said on your website. That can throw a spanner in the works. And we had recently a case where somebody updated IMDB with incorrect information associating one of our clients with an actor. And all of a sudden, Google then confused the two. Yep. And without any input from us or from our clients, somebody somewhere decided to edit IMDb and it was incorrect. And so by tracking it with Calico, we were able to see what had happened, figure it out, and fix it. Yeah, and if you, especially if you look at the latest Google I.O. from last week, well, hmm. uh, it seems brand management is becoming more important than ever. So right. if, if people can't get convinced by Google I.O. that they need to pay attention on the information they have about their brand organization or their person out there, um, they stand a chance of becoming irrelevant over time. Because if your competition does pay attention to that, they could blow past you. And by the time you caught up, you could easily be trailing for six months a year. That's a brilliant point to end it all on is if you're not paying attention to your entity, how Google and indeed Bing understand your entity, you are fading into irrelevance starting from right now. And I'd love to have you back to talk about the new generative AI in search with Google Uh-oh. at some point when it's come out, come out. But now to end the episode, which has been hugely interesting, as I knew it would be, how does entity modeling help with branded search? You've got a minute. How does entity modeling help with brand search? Well, um, if you start designing your story, you keep control of your story and you want to be in control of the message you are presenting to the rest of the world. So content optimization combined with structured data, combined with managing the information out there about your business, about you as a person, about your organization and the services you provide, you actually have a chance to stay on top of all the new developments and you actually have a chance to stay in control of your knowledge panel as opposed to being surprised that it contains false information and it's hurting your rankings or your business revenue. Brilliant. So eloquent. I wouldn't have expected anything less from you, Jarno. Thank, thank you very much. much. Now, thank you everyone for watching. That was absolutely brilliant. And we're going to introduce Joyan Chan, who's coming on next week. How to become confidently visible. I know Joyan, she's delightful, she's super smart, and I'm really looking forward to that episode. It's going to be absolutely awesome. Could you possibly pass the virtual baton, Jarno? Well, I personally can't wait until Joyan Chan. Um, the topic she hits on is it aren't really talked about a lot in marketing and, and self-confidence and being able to present yourself um, really matter if you want to go anywhere. Um, but a lot of people silently are suffering from imposter syndrome, insecurities. So somebody talking about that and throwing out some tips on how people can manage that for themselves, that um, good topic. I can't wait to see it. Brilliant. So eloquent yet again.
<laughs> a quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Jano. Thank you very much for having me. Brilliant. Cali Cube. It's all about your brand, Serp.